This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You're listening to the world's smartest podcast network. When I go to Sacramento, I will pump up Sacramento. 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 Some say the news is fake. Others say it's real. These two don't have the time to check. Instead, Turner Sparks and Michael Ira Kaplan turn to comics stationed around the globe to be their eyewitness reporters so that you can know what's really going on. This is Lost in America. All right, everybody, welcome to Lost in America Roundtable. My name's Turner Sparks. I am Sir Michael Ira Kaplan. You can find me at Turner Sparks on Instagram, turnersparks.com for all my tour dates. You can find Kaplan at Kaplan America on all social media platforms, Kaplan NYC for all your real estate needs, Kaplan. Yes. Today, we have the whole roundtable crew back together. Dr. Andrea Jones-Roy, Professor Andrew Heaton from the Political Orphanage, Andrea Jones-Roy from the Majoring in Everything podcast. We're talking about this Hassan Minaj article. Um, you know him from The Daily Show, from his his own TV show on Netflix, from his stand-up comedy specials. I would I would recommend pausing and reading the New Yorker article or at least skimming it a little bit. I guess you don't have to because... We we will kind of uh, start the we'll episode with by by telling you all the things that, that that are involved in this article. But if you're not familiar with it at all, at least maybe check it out. What do you think, Cap? And you, well, you only get like ten free articles. I think the whole year they give you. And they make you, it's a paywall. So if you haven't used them yet, yeah, click on it, read a little bit, skim it, um, and then. But we're gonna cover it as well, so you don't need. We'll to. cover it as well. Um, let's. Uh, but if, support our show, everybody. Patreon.com slash lost in America. If you subscribe for $5 a month, you get our lost in the bunker show. That's me and Kaplan full throttle comedy talking about our lives, our daily lives in New York city, Kaplan's kids, my stand up comp, my nights at stand up comedy clubs. A lot of, a lot of stories that I would not say in public because I'm talking yeah. about other comedians or I'm, you know, ripping on other comedy clubs, but I don't mind saying them for people who pay $5 a month. No, and if we if we are the victims of any sort of uh, attacks, like we're going to talk about in this episode or anything, this is this is where we talk about it in Patreon. We don't talk about it in this show. So five. This is where we will talk about it. Yeah, you're and, gonna hear all um, about uh, Teddy's Little League season's about to start. I got a lot cooking. We got our film festivals we're applying to. Lots going on in our lives. So we're gonna yeah. get into it. We're gonna go through every um, at bat of his entire season. <laughs> well, no, these parents are crazy. I, I left off the name. I already could see because I'm on a text chain with the with the parents, and we haven't even had a practice yet. And I could tell there there's some nuts. So I'm looking forward to reporting back about you know the crazy oh, good. appearance of youth sports culture. Yes, and um, and uh, yeah, five dollars gets you that show. For ten dollars, you get a, a T-shirt. The one time we went to number one in Armenia, we will mail you the shirt. It. We pay. It costs us money to actually print these shirts. We will lose money on this, but ten dollars gets you that shirt. Twenty bucks a month, you get your own ad on this show. We haven't done an ad from one of our the Drew Freilichs, the uh, Tugs, 
the the, 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 the Dennis Owens of the crew. Uh, we all though we uh, Sugar Brady. We all we owe all of them an ad. You get your own you month once a month. You get your own ad on this show. And, and um, uh, Kaplan also for five dollars a month, you get access to our monthly off the record off the show record. where we have one of our guests from Lost in America come on and give us the full unabridged, unedited, uncensored story of what they were talking about on Lost in America. So just last week, we had Andrea Jones-Royce. She recently, as a professor at NYU, recently left academia and gave us all the reasons why she's fed up with NYU and why with academia in general in America. And these students, this next generation of students who seem to be all, all I'll say is entitled, and if you want the details, there is no way to get the details now. She, it's live only. We don't record it, she, so that they feel free to say whatever they want. But we're gonna do, we're doing these once a month, so subscribe now, and then you'll get the email when we do the next one next month. Yeah, she said she didn't leave academia. Academia left her. But you know, you guys didn't see it if you didn't watch. But we saw Tug was there, Sugar Brady was there. It was great to see you both. Great um, to see everybody, so, the whole crew. Everybody was, was there. out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and that's it, I think, Kaplan. Should we get to the show? Yeah, let's get to it. Alert the brains. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the world's smartest podcast network roundtable. We have convened a very rapid and uh, hard-hitting roundtable to talk about the latest and greatest news that I think is at the intersection of all of our wheelhouses, at the intersection of comedy politics, personal stories, and more. We are here, of course, to talk about the recent New Yorker article that is uh, causing a stir called Hassan Minaj's Emotional Truths. And maybe we'll talk in a moment about whether or not I'm saying his name correctly. So this is an article that came out in the New Yorker mere days ago at the time of recording. Oh, by the way, I'm Andrea Jones-Roy. I'm the host of Majoring and Everything. So excited to talk about this uh, that I wanted to get right into it. I am joined by my fellow World's Smartest Podcast Network hosts, uh, Andrew Heaton. Welcome. Hello. A pleasure to be here. Always fun to talk to you all. But also, I love shitting on comedians who are more successful than myself. So this yes. is this is going to be really fun for me. The schadenfreude is uh, ripe in the air. We're all very thrilled. Uh, I think we didn't convene a roundtable this quickly when, like, Russia invaded Ukraine. Like, this is where, like, we got to get together and talk about this. All right. I am also joined by the two co-hosts of the Lost in America podcast, Turner Sparks. Welcome back to the roundtable. Thank you. Thank you for having me back on our show. Yes, <laughs> I am the uh, arbiter of, of the roundtable today. And we, we Michael, took a vote. You passed. Yeah. Good. Good to see you all. I'm looking forward to discussing emotional truths with you all. There we go. All As right. So we're here always. because uh, we are we are dictated by nothing if not our emotional truths. So so we all uh, I imagine uh, came across this article separately. I read it personally at about two in the morning. I couldn't sleep, and the minute I I started reading, it was like Hassan Minaj, emotional truths. He is a comedian who is very well regarded. He's con- being considered for all kinds of fancy uh, uh, options, Daily Show possibilities. Uh, he has, he used to have a Netflix show. He's a hero of mine as far as uh, comedic storytelling and comedy with a purpose and a message. Big deal. Huge, huge person in comedy. This article comes out and says, gosh, a lot of the stories that he has based his stand-up specials on or his storytelling specials, we can debate which one of those are, uh, it turns out are not quite true in a factual sense. Uh, they are true, according to him, in an emotional sense. And we can unpack what we all think about that in mere moments. But the article 
uh, points out that a number of the stories around which his specials have revolved have been fake. The one that stood out to me first and foremost is from his first special, Homecoming King, where he tells a long, complicated, difficult to to listen to story about wanting to go to prom with a white girl. He's uh uh, Indian, practicing Muslim, wanted to go to prom with a white girl. And the whole special is all about how at the last second he's on the doorstep and her parents said, oh, we don't want a, a brown person in the photos. What will our family think? And he sees uh, some white dude or someone else put a corsage on this woman. And it's all uh, uh, pretty, pretty, you know, upsetting if you think about, you know, racism, xenophobia in America. That one of the other big lies uh, or, or non-factual truths that, that was brought up in the article <laughs> was around an anthrax scare. Correct me, you all, if you, you know this particular detail better, but apparently he received some white powder in the mail, had been doing some political uh, uh, comedy, political shows, uh, and was thinking that he was in some kind of danger, thought that his daughter had been exposed to anthrax. They go to the emergency room and there's a whole uh, uh, to-do about it. And it turns out that also was was made up uh there's a few other pieces in there that i think will will unravel as we go um but the big punchline you know and, and the article itself starts with the question is does it matter that this was not true and so i of course wanted to talk about this with all of you because we have talked on this uh round table before about politics and comedy a lot of social issues uh hannah gatsby at length who i'm a big fan of who does a lot of personal storytelling and the line between storytelling and comedy and what you can joke about and what you can't. So this has all those flavors all mixed together in one. Uh, I think maybe to kick us off, we should all go around and say, do we think it matters that it was made up? Heaton, what do you think? Uh, yes, I do. But but it depends on what, what they made up. So actually, I, I had not heard the bit about the prom bed. I, I'm going to lay the cards ah. on the table. I, I am aware of, of Hassan Minhaj. Uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Minhaj. Uh, Hassan Minhaj. I'm aware of him. I've not actually watched his comedy. So okay. I am... I am uh, academically aware of Hassan. Um, this article is the most exposure I've had to him. So I have not followed his career. Okay. Uh, and um, I, I did not read in the article you sent her. Apparently, I skipped it. The bit about the prom bit. So his first co- his first comedy special, the, the crescendo was about mm-hmm. uh, how racist this community was and how he couldn't take the girl he wanted to prom. And that turned out to yes. be false. That was yes, made up. And he uh, for those of you who if you haven't seen it, I'm going to sort of spoil it. He puts up he uses screens and he puts up a blurred out photo of this person yeah. that he went to high yes. school with their Facebook profile and shows that later on in her life, she married an Indian man who had a his words, not mine, a very traditionally Indian long last name. And he runs across the stage shouting out the name syllable by syllable. And it turns out that those people are very much real. I don't know if he used that exact name, but it was close enough that they were able to get completely doxxed and harassed. And this woman and her husband have had a really difficult uh, uh, (laughs) life because of this special and because he was not um, careful enough about their privacy. And then the whole thing was false, not on top of all of that. Yeah, so so noting all of this, I I, I draw the distinction between are are you lying in pursuit of the goddess we all serve, Thalia, muse of humor? Are you are you are you telling the lie in order to further the laughter of the audience, or are you telling the lie as a kind of entrepreneurial victimhood? And it mm. seems to me yeah. that the lying that Hassan is engaged in is what I would call entrepreneurial victimhood, a new and fascinating phenomenon within world history and and in particular within our culture. It's only about twenty, thirty years old, if that. Um if he I were was telling about to jokes, give you credit for that term. I've never I heard entrepreneurial made victimhood before. Oh, that's great. You know what? I, it, it's, it started, it started circulating as a term, at least insofar as I'm aware of it, when uh, – mm. 
who's the, actually Turner? You were on my show for that episode back back when I was doing a daily show. Who's the fella that uh, that like claimed to have a noose around his neck and and they shouted, "This is oh, MAGA J- country!" and they threw yeah. bleach at him. Jussie Smo- uh, Smollett. That's Smollett. Yes. Yes. Sm- yeah. Yeah. Smollett. Subway yeah. guy. Uh, that, he was going to kill that. Was, that was when the term started floating around. Um, so to me, these are different states. I I I I think all of us exaggerate in comedy regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I would argue that a lot of the time when people get angry at a joke, they're they're not really angry at the truth of the joke. They're angry at the exaggeration of it, which I think is fine. Um, uh, Jimmy Fela, who's in New York that that some of us know I'm friends with. He has a joke uh, where um, I'll butcher it. But he says, like, last night I got so depressed after the Mets lost that I went down to the 9-11 memorial to feel better. And people mm. will get mad at him. And he's like, all right, do you honestly think that I equate – the Mets losing with September 11th. No, you're you're angry of the proximity that I took this joke to something sacred, which I think is fine. I don't think that that's an offensive joke. I think that it's it's you're a little too touchy if you do that. Um, so if you're exaggerating the joke for comedic effect, I don't have a problem with it. And to be blunt, if you're if you're just making it up whole cloth to have a joke, I'm OK mm-hmm. with that. Even if it's just to illustrate a point, I'm fine with that. Uh, I won't I won't say which, but there's one of my favorite jokes that I, I regale people with when I'm in uh, when I'm in restaurants and in uh, cocktail parties and things is 80 percent a lie. Uh, but it, <laughs> I, I just what 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 a, what a very few. But it's just the humor of the situation that I'm trying to do. It's not me lying that, um, you know, when I was in Oklahoma, everybody um Everybody's really mean to me when I came to the East Coast. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, I really struggled here because classism, classism was really bad. Like, I'm not doing that. Wait, and pause. I, t- pause t- for t- a pause break right there. You got to. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to. That's that's Peabody the, award. Let's go. The, pro- the problem I have is uh, like and I, I think Louis C.K. like even talks about this in one of his specials where there, he kicks off a special where he's talking about how sardonic and sarcastic people have become. And he's at a Starbucks and someone's like, yesterday I saw Becky. <laughs> that's hilarious. And he goes mm-hmm. through this whole thing and he made it up. That to me is okay because he's illustrating a point, and it, I mean maybe I'm splitting hairs here, but he's illustrating a point. And he's doing it for comedic value, but he's not creating a a biographical rap sheet in order mm-hmm. to further himself. And and that to me is what Hassan is doing. He's basically engaging in uh, a, a a a biographical retcon for his own benefits, and so that bothers me. So that was one. I'm glad you brought up Louis C.K. because that was one of the analogies I thought of as I was reading this. First, I thought, oh, gosh, I exaggerate things in my own stand up. I say stuff that I said that I didn't say and and whatever. And I was like, is that the same thing? And Louis C.K. has another joke where he says something like, oh, you know, he gets up. Someone on the plane got upset that there was no Wi-Fi on the plane. And the joke is that like two seconds ago, you didn't even know there was going to be Wi-Fi only because you heard that there's no Wi-Fi. Now you're mad. And apparently in real life, that was him having that reaction and then realizing that reaction was ridiculous. But in the joke, it works better if you say that it's someone else. So I guess he threw someone under the bus and he was making this up. I will backtrack slightly and say that there is potentially some room for defense of, or you could hear, I would imagine Hassan would want to defend himself along the lines of like, he didn't make up the prom story 100%. He there was, was a dating prom. a white girl. She did say she didn't want to go to prom with him. But the circumstances of it being this like dramatic moment where he shows up on the door ready to go with her, like those details were what maybe compressed and they were they were they were fabricated. And so even then, it's not that he just made up the event completely in his defense. But Turner, what do you think? Or with with the anthrax one, according to him, there was like again, he, he might be he might be backtracking, but. 
in the original story, someone sends him an anthrax scare. His wife is terrified, et cetera, et cetera. And then he's now kind of said, well, there was something in an envelope. It looked kind of like powder. I don't know. So there might have been a kernel of truth to it. But, right. but the kind of orchestrated but his kid uh, hero's journey okay. plot arc that he's created right. is is much more exaggerated. Sorry, Turner. Yeah, Turner. Yeah, I, I think that what I find interesting here is that his lies along the lines of what Heaton just said, his lies go to paint him in the end as either a hero or a victim. And that's just fundamentally in my mind, an odd way to approach stand-up comedy uh, mm. that it's, and again, maybe this is, we're going back to an argument or some, you know, you, you brought it up. Uh, you referenced it early, uh, Andrea, that maybe this is not stand up. It's storytelling or something like that. But, um, usually in stand up, I find myself to be kind of the idiot, uh, the punchline of mm. the joke. Usually I wouldn't write a joke where in the end I'm so smart. Um, but, or, or I'm uh, poor me. I'm a victim. Uh, that's just not where my comedy comes from. I, if if that does, of course, we all have things that happen in our life where, in the end, something happens in our life, and in the end, it turns out we were right, right? Or in the end, it turns out we were wronged by society. Um, mm -hmm. Neither one of those cases, when those happen to me, does that go ding, 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 comedy time? Ooh, I was so right. <laughs> Let's turn this into stand up material. But one of his, so one, a, a bit you didn't mention, he talks about is um, when he was in high school, his mosque in Sacramento, California. Yes, also my hometown. Um, yes, your also where he is from. He's from your the suburb mosque. of Davis. Go. Go yeah. to the bake sale. Yeah, he's from the suburb of Davis right outside of Sacramento, but it's it's just a suburb. So his mosque in Sacramento was infiltrated by an undercover FBI agent. Yeah. And this was a yeah. white man who went by the name of like Brother Connor or something like Brother that. Eric. Brother uh, Eric. Brother Eric. That's Brother right. Eric. Yeah. And mm. Has, ha, uh, Hassan or Hassan, I think is how he prefers to be called now. Uh, Hassan, um, or maybe he always preferred to be called and people call him the wrong thing. Whatever. Hassan said... That when he was in high school, he was the only one who um, he knew this guy was up to no good. He knew this guy was an FBI yeah. agent. This was shortly after 9-11. And as the great Norm MacDonald said, we all know the worst part about 9-11 uh, the all the people. <laughs> Hypocrisy? <laughs> it's, he said the racism felt by certain people around the world, not the 2,500 people who died in the, in the towers. Right. Uh, but anyway, so he knew this is right after 9-11. He knew this guy was up to no good. And this FBI agent. And he told his parent. He told his dad. He told everybody. And no one believed him. They said, no, no, no. This is Brother Eric's a great guy. Ten years later, Brother Eric, who is a real person, is outed as an FBI agent who was infiltrating mosques. Right. And Hassan is the hero because he says, look, I'm so smart. I knew before anyone else knew. And I guess I haven't seen that special, but I guess then I would assume the audience applauds. And that's funny. Um, so uh, anyway, turns out none of that was true. That man is an undercover FBI agent. He, he and even he's he's in the article. Brother Eric's in the article. He goes, "Yeah, I was. I'm a scumbag. I was infiltrating mosques. He was in Southern California, but he was in but Southern he goes, California. I was in L.A., Sacramento. <laughs> we're nowhere close. It's an eight, it's a it's an hour flight. It's an eight hour drive to L.A. We're nowhere near L.A. I don't know why he would make that up, but he did." So um, anyway, long way of saying that 
yes, this is. I I don't. Th- I think that you're allowed to lie in comedy as long as it's the end of it is a punchline. I heard. I saw a comedian on Twitter say, in light of the re- the revelations of the Hasaminaj story. I this is the best time for me to say I never did in fact jerk off a homeless guy on the L train, um, but I was, <laughs> but I did it to serve an emotional truth. <laughs> I told right, right. Less. So anyway, point is, if it's there to if it's there to serve us a joke, of course that I think as a comedian, I think that's fine. Go ahead, Kaplan. Oh no, well, two things. One is that I'm totally cool. I, I I hope you agree with this with doxing girls in high school who just. If you want to build an entire comedy special, if it's your entire motivation to become a stand-up comedian and have a special, <laughs> then dox the girl in high school who who didn't want to go to prom didn't with go you. To prom with you? I mean, that's that's brilliant. I tip my cap to him. Uh, it probably was because you were he was a dork who would become a comedian, not because he was uh, brown. But anyway, I what he said I wanted to touch on was the idea of the the victimhood. That's where I have the problem. It's because it seems like we're moving towards a society where, like, yes, like everybody, you guys, you're all comedians. Everyone exaggerates. There's a certain the audience knows that going in, but it's like to exaggerate only to be the victim. Like you want, like in all times now you need to like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Jew and I, I Turner and I've talked about this on the air before where I, I've said that I think Jews, one of the reasons we're like holding on to hope that we're discriminated against still, because that was good for comedy. It was good. It's good being the victim. Um, yeah. And I think that you want us to discriminate against you, Cap. Would yes, that be I root for it. It was okay. great. Well, the peak of Jewish comedy is when hey, we can't get into country clubs. It makes you feel better. I, I, I say anti-Semitic stuff about you all yeah, the time. Yeah, say Jewess right <laughs> now, and I will be time. funnier the rest of the episode. Uh, <laughs> there is a thing, though. If I can just jump in, Cap, real quick, where I you will see comedians only. I, I only really see it in New York, but they'll go into a room and they'll be like, "Hey, so uh, I'm Jewish." Like, ah, and they just assume everyone hates them. And I feel like just a, a yeah. swath of tourists from around the world are just kind of it's a little it's a little like it doesn't connect totally. Yeah. And, and in this case, I mean, you know, after 9-11, there was tons of race. We know that's the truth that we also know yes. that, like, for America, considering 9-11, considering what happens in Europe, America actually in some ways did. Uh, what's the word? Like, it wasn't as there were. There, it wasn't like the worst case scenario, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, we commended just but. But he is seeming like I don't know what he grew up with. I don't know if he grew up with racism or not. We don't know that. But he seems like he wants to have. It's like good for his his shtick. And the fact that he doesn't actually have real stories here, like they're nowhere. They're not even like it's not an exact. The Louis C.K. thing is like okay, he was on the plane. He had a thought. Right. This is like I'm inventing. Uh, you know, this is not even even close to the reality. So I think it is. It does go. You know. Uh, in in writing, you know, writers now they they say that like you know people don't want to read a story unless you experienced it. That's a big controversy in the fiction world. Like you should mm. have experienced this thing. You can't get into. Mm. And I feel like he's like doing that for the comedians. Like I like I like you need to have experienced something. So I'm just gonna say I experienced it, and then I can talk about this issue. So I don't whatever word you used earlier, he and I like that and uh, uh, entrepreneurial victim. Yes, that's which, what which I think I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you bring up the the, the, the victim. I, I think that that is what's going on. Um, I I think that there is a um, I think victimhood plays a role in comedy. Uh, I don't I don't want to call it that. Let me rephrase this. I think that comedy is very much served by being the odd man out. I think that's mm-hmm. that's a powerful place to be from a humor writing perspective. If you are let's let's bring it back to high school. If you are captain of the football team and you're dating the head cheerleader and you're sitting at the cool kids table, yeah. 
it's a lot more difficult for you to look out at the universe and go, this is fucked up. I see some (laughs) weird things here that no one else has noticed because the whole universe is suiting you. And so when you're at the center of the wheel that the world is spinning around, which in our society traditionally has been white Protestant males, it's harder for us to see the incongruities in society because when society is working very well for you, it sure feels like society is working well in general. Whereas when you're on the edge, you're on the periphery or you're not being uh, serviced by society, whether you're an ethnic minority, a sexual minority, a religious minority, whatever, it's a lot easier for you to be able to see those fissures and go, have you all noticed this odd contradiction here? So I I think it's a powerful position to be at. Uh, That's the most woke thing you've ever said, by the way. I just want to like pull that out and play it at the start of all my podcasts. Keep going. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so I, I think that there's, there's real value in that. Um, But, but, but again, that is in the service of the comedy that's in the service Mm -hmm. of, of uh, the humor. And um, I, I think that that's kind of a different, a different mental mindset than uh, a lot of the sections of our society where uh, victimhood is good because it it lends uh, moral authority. And the more victimized I am, the more moral authority I have than you. And I've I've been in con- like I'm always at the bottom of the pyramid as a as a straight white guy. Like I'm I, now I'm Buddhist, so I guess maybe I can like take a little. Are tiny you good bit for you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yes. I, I, yeah. I, re- I I was hanging out at Sangha recently and realized, wait, wait a minute, I've been fucking doing this five <laughs> years. I think this is what I am. Um, right, coming out but, as a um, Buddhist. Yeah, coming out as Buddhist. Uh, by the way, no discrimination on my end. Of course, I've only been, you know, anyway, a uh, 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 point is like, <laughs> Brother I'm, Heaton, I'm we're going to call you. I'm, I'm at the Brother bottom Heaton. of the, the, the pyramid, but, I, but I've kind of like, I've, I have friends, uh, a lot of them are in New York, who will, like, I can, I can kind of hear them um, sort of angling to see who is, who's got more chips they can put on the victim pile. And right. uh, um, I... You know, we should absolutely be trying to design a society where we're not victimizing people and where nobody's discriminated against. I'm 100 percent in favor of that. But I also like I've got enough gritty Oklahoma pioneer in me to go. I I do not think that conceiving of yourself as a victim is ultimately an efficacious way to navigate life. I think that that is a really um, prohibitive view to have. And so I, I don't think it's healthy for society to fixate on that or for people that have been victimized to view themselves as passive objects in a system. I think it's even if the odds are against you, I think it's much better for you to believe that you are an, an active participant who has a uh, a certain level of self-ownership and efficaciousness that you can inflict upon the world. I think it's a better place to be. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Can I bring up um, the angle of his response here? To this, because yes. I find Please. his response very interesting. So we've all kind of established that. And, and I've talked to a lot of comedians about this over the last few days. And basically everyone has the same um, same opinion on it that we all do, which is that, yeah, this seems weird. And this seems, mm-hmm. frankly, like wrong that especially the part of outing this girl he went to high school with 
that, you know, the idea that they, I think Kaplan said they dated. Well, that's not even 100% true. She says in the article they were friends. They were friends, mm. and he asked her to prom, and she said yes. And then a couple days later, a guy she actually liked, was interested, mm. and asked her to prom. So she ended up saying no to Hassan Minaj and then said yes to this other guy. And then he spent his Racist. life, and then he pulled a very Michael Jordan move. I don't know if you read the rest of the article, but he invited her and her new husband to yes. come see the special yep. without jetting them it. off. <laughs> that the end of it was going to be outing them as terrible people. Um, so anyway, but it's so, so, and then, yeah, he made up this stuff about a mosque in Sacramento. He made up, uh, uh, all, all of this, the anthrax scares. He made up his daughter getting anthrax. The, yeah. <laughs> calling it an anthrax scare. What you're making up is that you were the victim of a terrorist attack when in yeah. fact he, you're not. Um, and his response to all of this. So he met with New Yorker, the New York, New York, was it New York magazine or New York, the New Yorker New wrote Yorker. the article. And before they published the article, they said, hey, let's meet and go through these facts and tell us what you want to know. Now, a lot of people would just be like straight up. No, I'm not meeting with you. This is you're going to blast me here. Yeah. Um, Or the second response would be you meet with them and you go, yes, I did all these things. Or you did for a second would be deny. Say like, no, no, no. All those are true. Third would be, yes, I did all those things and I'm sorry. And there's precedence Mm -hmm. here for this. If we're talking about terrorist attacks. Uh, Steve Ranazizi, a stand-up comedian, in 2015 was um, outed by the New York Times as having lied that saying he mm. was in the building, yeah, 9/11. The, the towers yeah. in 9-11. He never actually talked about this in his stand-up act. He moved to L.A., didn't have a lot of friends. Somehow, when he was 22 years old, decided to make this up as his origin story of why he got into stand-up comedy. I was in the towers. They got hit. I was a I was working at Jesus. Merrill Lynch as a banker, and I went. You know what? I got to change my life. Carpe diem. I'm coming becoming a comedian. Like George Santos. Whatever. Tw- it is a good origin story. <laughs> it's a great. Fifteen years story. later, yeah. this isn't yeah. true. His response was to profusely apologize, to go on the Howard Stern show, and take callers of everyone telling him he's a horrible mm. person. He agreed, but it did end his, essentially ended his career. He's still a stand-up comedian now, but he's at no point where he used to be. Minaj's response was to admit that all of this was fake, but then basically say, F you, I don't care. Yes, it's true. It's fake, but I'm not apologizing, which which is well, in the- and to, to say it was serving this, this higher truth, right? So are we in currently in a world where apologizing is kind of the worst thing to do? So, so Turner, I'm so glad you brought up his response because uh, two two things I think come from that. So, one, uh, the in in disclosure, the uh, the author of the article is someone named Claire Malone, who I worked with at Five Thirty Eight. She's an outstanding journalist. She's very very thorough. She does not mess around. Mm. I uh, started reading the article. I, I'm a fan of Hassan Minaj, or I was a fan of Hassan Minaj, uh, and and also I was excited that it was Claire and it was this intersection. Claire is very intense. Like I am amazed and impressed that she got an interview with him. And if anything, she went. I think very lighter on him than she could have. Like the the article itself poses the question, does it matter that this was made up? He She doesn't come out and say, hey, I'm exposing this person for lying to us. So if anything, she's rather forgiving of him. And you're absolutely right that his response, his his justification of it, that, oh, it's it's what he calls an emotional truth. It it represents a truth that a lot of people who experience um, discrimination go through uh, is justification enough. It's a it's a 
it's a surprisingly delicate article for what the 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 claims are, the findings are. I find myself wondering how Claire got tipped off at the start as to how whether or not this was fake. Does she know the person Same. from the high school, the the, the date or, or the homecoming thing? Did brother did, Eric. did rumors circulate? Did she follow comedy more than I realize? Like how Her how do you figure this out? Eric. And, well, I, and I, I've heard that she's, file, yeah, so that she's gotten some flack for not going harder against him. So I guess this, the, Turner really brings up two things like why, you know, should she have even given him a chance to reply if she's just exposing something that he won, you know, like a Peabody Award for, for like American storytelling and, 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 and sharing the American experience like it was above and beyond the, the comedy reception uh, and he was hailed as this this truth teller. Uh, and B, yeah, is there any backbone to this emotional truth? Uh, are we at all sympathetic? Best case well, scenario. I, and he, I love I have one more thing to say. And then <laughs> yeah, one, yeah, yeah. one last thing here. And then I'll, I'll let yeah. everyone else jump in. But if you're going to say the concept of an emotional truth is that it didn't happen, it, which I think he's kind of invented this term in the last week. I, I've never heard this term before, but I guess the concept that he's pitching is that it didn't happen to me personally, but it has happened to someone in the world and it does happen in our, it did happen in our society. So therefore it happened to me. I feel like Steve and easy should retract his nine 11 thing. <laughs> nine 11 like, happened to us. Well, it happened. So emotionally I'm, it, there were people in that building. It, it is an event that happened in the world. So then therefore it happened to me. Um, and uh, I will also say that I don't know Hassan Minaj personally, even though we have a lot of similar friends because of our Sacramento, this connection mm. and New York, but I've never met the guy in person. Uh, Heaton. Emotional truth. Uh, I f- go. Yeah, I find the concept of emotional truth uh, very suspicious. I am very suspicious towards this. It, it does. It, it does have an intellectual lineage in journalism. Like there, I, I don't think they teach this journalism school, but I've been told from people that went to journalism school uh, that there's a maxim: uh, don't let the facts get in the way of the truth. So I, I think that there, there is something of this that's percolated for a while. But in terms of the application of it, I'm very suspicious for this reason. I I see no difference between saying emotional truth versus making up things that fit my confirmation bias. I I am not sure how they are in any way different. So let's let's put the shoe on the other foot for a minute. Um, I make up a story where some MAGA Republicans say something super racist, because even though that didn't happen, my worldview is that MAGA Republicans are super racists. And so I'm communicating an emotional truth. Well, what I'm doing is bullshitting you and, and giving you a a fabricated image that might in fact be warping your understanding of reality. Or let's backtrack to the 60s where I'm a white guy in Pittsburgh and I talk about how these black guys came into my store and started pushing around the girls and uh, were, were, you know, shoplifting and shit. And it didn't happen, but we all know what black people are like. Okay, that's the emotional truth shared by that particular people Mm -hmm. at that particular time. Mm -hmm. But also – you're doing a great disservice by by perpetuating this. So I, I don't like that idea. I, I think that it is indistinguishable from uh, this is my confirmation bias and I am making up a thing to illustrate my confirmation bias. And so I'm, I'm not not a fan. I'm not a fan of emotional truth. Cap, I know. Well, think? I'm going to start using it. If, like, my, if I, you know, going out to the strip club and my wife says, what were you doing? I'll say my emotional truth is I was at the library. I don't know. Like what <laughs> can do a lot with this? But no, it's it's a, it's interesting what Turner was saying. Like there was, do you guys are you familiar with the Mike Mike Daisy? Does anybody know who he is? 
He, it sounds yeah, vaguely familiar. Exactly, vaguely. So that's my point. When I first moved to New York, like 15 years ago, he was this like, it's not a stand-up comedian. He was like a storyteller. He would do these like okay. monologues and he was this hilar- very, very funny. And they were all about his life. And he just seemed like the type of person who would be like, who, would, who should have made a bigger career, right? And then at some point, about a decade ago, he did this whole story monologue that was getting all these great reviews about going to China to the uh, Apple, like building the iPhone facilities. And he like got a job. I forget these specifics, but I think he supposedly got a job there and he had all these crazy details. And then people fact checked it and the whole thing was fake. And he initially like he didn't go did to what, China at all. Yeah, he initially. Well, he, I think he went to China, but but he initially did what what, uh, what Turner said, like he doubled down and he said, well, he like he didn't use the term emotional truth, but he basically said, I stand by my story. He did this whole thing. And then eventually he got so much backlash that he basically had to admit it was all fake. But like his career, I feel like I haven't heard the guy like he used to be he used to see him all the time at things. So it's a dangerous it's a dangerous move, I think, as not. But I, I think he's counting on the fact that because it's stand up comedy, like when right. you go to these storytelling shows, you you you. It's like when someone writes a memoir, you know, like the guy, a million little pieces guy like you, 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 you as an audience member, you believe like you're interested in it because it's true. Like if it's a piece of fiction, even if it's I, there's that disclaimer in the front of a book that says these, these things aren't true. And we accept that. Maybe we need to start doing those stand up comedy. I don't know. But there's something about, yeah, as the audience member, you give yourself to a, a, to someone who's, who's saying that this is it really happened. And then when you're robbed of that, I, I don't know, like he's counting on like Whoopi Goldberg. I saw came to his defense and said that all comedians do this. Like he's counting on that thing that people say all comedians make things up. But like, like I know Turner didn't really go apple picking, but it doesn't even have a Chinese wife, but he make most of his <laughs> I have most proof of both of those in my social media. We did go apple picking. Exactly. No, but of course the, the apple picking story I have, there's parts of it that are made up, of course. Right. But it's uh, an emotional truth. Um, uh, <laughs> right, right. No, but in no point am I the victim or anything. I don't, right, I don't know. Right, or the hero. No, yeah. Um, no, can I say one And thing that's where here? I think, I, Cap, I'm glad you said this because it really does come back to, and, and I don't have a good answer for this, is like, why does it bug me so much that he, that Hassan Minaj made up big pieces of these stories when, in fact, we all as comedians make things up? And I... I I feel like there's a number of different ways to go with this. I want to give you guys some hypotheticals. So one, yeah, what if we all just made stuff up? What if I just made up I was a professor, Turner made up that he lived in China, made up I had a heart attack, he ran Mr. Softy, (laughs) whatever it is, but it was still funny and we were still telling a joke. Would that be fine? Would it be fine if I was just making up, say, the professor thing? I'm not a victim. I'm not anything. I just am talking about about uh, being a professor, and it's riotously hilarious, as everyone knows. Yeah, I, um, I think if you if you've got a character like Greg Turkington used to do this with uh, what was his what was that guy's name? I can't remember. Um, there, there was a very famous character Greg Turkington would do, uh, but it was a character. Okay. Uh, and uh, well, I, I think um, Stephen uh, Wright. Yeah, I, I mean. I don't know. Stephen Wright has a joke where he goes, I worked at a um, fire hydrant factory. You couldn't park anywhere near the place. Yeah. I don't think any but, of us believe terrible. he worked at a fire hydrant factory. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, see, the, okay. The, 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 here, here, here's where I doubt everything I've said previously this episode. And I, I okay. would like everybody's input on this. Um, I'm, I'm making this delineation that, that seems that there's a general consensus on of if you're make if you're if you're exaggerating or even whole cloth fabricating 
something in service to a punchline, it's okay. But if you're doing it to uh, retcon your own biography, it's not okay. So that's kind of the thesis I'm operating with. But I also wonder if I'm just making up bullshit to go, well, I like that guy, so it's okay when he does it. Well, that's what uh, I'm and wondering, I, And too. I don't know yeah. that guy. So About I, like, I, I, yeah. I, I, I like the work of Louis C.K. I think his comedy is very, very funny. So I'm, I'm immediately intellectually coming to his defense going, well, it's fine. In his case, it's fine. Uh, in my case, I'm a great guy. And so I, I, it's possible that this is all just me trying to explain in my head why you can do it if I like you and you can't do it if I don't like you or I don't know you. Andrea, can I ask you this? If Go ahead. Hannah, if it came out that Hannah Gadsby was never raped. Okay, she wasn't raped. She was a, she was beaten up, but but okay. Oh, I haven't up. seen the special. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like, uh If it came I out that she was she, never yeah, beaten her up, story, there, was, there was no attack. Nothing ever happened. Right. You would this is someone her? you do like, right? Yes. Then would no, that I would change be very I would it would absolutely change it for me. It would it would okay. completely change it. I would lose a lot a lot of, if not all of my respect for her. And uh, you know, I like Hassan Minaj a lot. Uh, he's someone that I really look up to in the in the comedy world. And uh, I find it very disappointing. And I don't this is my problem is I can't quite figure out why. And so it's like to give another example, like what if I told a joke about being raped and it was hysterical? I feel like that's wrong. I don't have a good reason for why. And so, Heaton, you're bringing up, like, if it's in service of a punchline, it's fine. That seems like it's not okay. And I, I agree that, that Hannah mm. Gadsby, hers wasn't in, in, in service of a punchline in that, in that moment. It was in the context of a stand-up show, but it was not in service of a punchline in particular. So, okay, th- this, this, is, uh, this is a great um, a fissure point that we can explore, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm a huge Jack Handy fan. I think anybody that is in comedy that grew up in the 90s is a huge Jack Handy fan, whether you know it or not. Yep. And um, what, one of the lines in uh, 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 Deep Thoughts is, I've always been afraid of clowns. And I think it might have to do with the fact that one time when I was a kid, a clown killed my dad. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it's he's bringing up murder. So it's a yeah. really it's a big thing. Right. Like like rape and murder are both very serious topics. In that case, I look at it and I'm like, that's ah, funny. Like if, if somebody like if somebody said mm-hmm. that on stage and they went exact same joke um, and, and you know, a, a clown killed my dad. M- maybe it's because implicit in the joke. I know that they don't mean it like uh, like it, it's th- th- there's such an absurdist framework to it. Um, so possible if you mm-hmm. made a rape joke, Andrea, that had like, you know, I, I was raped on a spaceship or something like that, like a big caveat here, be fucking careful. And it has to be really funny. And I would probably mm-hmm. never tip this myself, but yeah, I'm never going to do a were, joke on this. Just if, for so everyone knows. Were to <laughs> do it do in it. such a way that it was absurdist. I could see you pulling it off where, where it would, it, where, okay. where no one would really be offended by it because you would not be, you, you, it would, it would be a joke in service of a joke. The reality would be clear. Yeah, I think that it for me, I think it really all comes down to if you're trying to get a laugh or you're trying to get sympathy, victimhood or heroship. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's frankly it. I okay. think anyone can do a joke that if they got raped and if it's funny, great, you know, and if it's sad and then it didn't happen, if it's sad, it better be true. If it's funny, right. do whatever you want. Um, and I think all rape jokes are funny. So we're opposites. And that's it. <laughs> if it bends, it's uh, funny. He's been muted because he just breaks. keeps chuckling every time I use the word rape. So, uh. but, uh, but yeah, I really that's really where it comes down to for me. And I think where it comes down to for most people, 
I, I think I don't want to be one of these politicians who's like America wants change, which is like vaguely saying what America is to, to back up your own point. But I think it is true. I think America agrees with me in this sense. I think most people, if they're if it's in service of a joke, they're like, say whatever you want. We know where to stand up comedy show. We know the we know what's going on here. And yeah, if it if it's ending in a joke, go for it. Cap, go ahead. Sorry. No, well, I was just, oh, no, I was just going to add. Oh, no, Cap, go ahead. I, well, no, I think that. I think the, you have to remember your audiences are all pretty stupid, right? So I do think that they, 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 they think most things are true. I think, but then mm. they know, you know, then they think later. Oh, do you think that really happened? Like, so I think that if it's exactly if it's in the service of joke, who cares? It's a joke. But like when you're making these right. big giant points about American society, especially if you have the right. platform, you're not like doing a, a small gig somewhere. You're like on. It's a television special. There is a sense of, I mean, his whole, I mean, if you're doing political comedy, right, if you want to be that person or if you want to be the person who's doing rape comedy, whatever it is, like, you know, yeah. so uh, I'm uh, gunning can, can for- I, there's more, there's more to this. So do, do you know that also in the article, they say that he put up, he puts up behind him. I don't know if this is on one of his specials or in his TV show, but he puts up all of the racist tweets, tweets. and direct messages he's gotten sent to him um, over the years or whatever. And it turns and out fake, all right? of those, 100% of them were made up by him. Wait, what? I missed that. Really? Yeah, so that's yeah, he's not doing stand-up comedy. He's doing performance yeah. art or whatever you want to call it. And like, it's, well, yeah, <laughs> that, I mean, that is, that is like, again, I, I bring up entrepreneurial victimhood. Uh, that, that is uh, a, an emotional truth he's fabricated. Like, if, 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 my, if my whole set, I don't, like, again, I don't have a lot of victim cards I can play here, but if my whole thing was how mean east coast elites are to me being you know the the son of farmers in oklahoma and that was my whole thing uh and everybody would applaud like god what a brave guy and all that shit and like then then yeah knock the stool out from under me mm-hmm. uh i i i also wonder there might be a kind of um backlash from us in terms of like the proper way to obtain status if, if, has anybody read a book called the status game by will stewart by chance mm. No, uh, absolutely phenomenal. You will never see the world the same way again. Uh, it's either Will Store or Will Story. Uh, he came on the political orphanage about six months ago. But, but basically what Will Store proposes is as primates, uh, we are constantly, constantly, constantly without end um, jockeying to see who's at the top of whatever hierarchy we're in at any given time. Mm-hmm. And that there are three methods by which we obtain status within our social group. We do it by. Uh, domination by bullying people, which could be physical in olden times, today bullying, uh, or I would argue like in the context of a lot of our conversations, calling people out for language they can't use to kind of let them know that I have language. the ability to put you down, um, that uh, you can do it by purity, by mm. by believing the right things, saying the right things, by uh, um, knowing knowing the the sacred beliefs of your tribe by 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 a, a kind of uh, moral integrity or by prestige by being successful either by outward trappings like presumably the reason that I wear a lot of blazers is that I'm trying to communicate to other people look at me I have prestige and success um but also just being successful and so I think within the comedy world um unless you're a Don Rickles character who is you know made an act out of pushing people around I only want to give you credit for prestige. I only want to give you credit for being very, very funny. And I want the comedy system to incentivize and reward being successful at maximizing laughter. I don't want I I do not want to give you credit as a comedian for being morally pure. I don't Mm. give a fuck. 
I give mm. a fuck about you being funny. And so when when you start figuring out eh, instead of doing jokes, I'm just going to figure out how to be morally pure and the people will applaud me. It just kind of pisses me off. Right. No, I thought of you all first when I read this article, because of my as we've discussed many times on this show, uh, many of my friends, including comedian friends, are to the left of me and more uh, censorious of language. And there are things you can make jokes about and there are things you can't make jokes about. And and I am more careful around my language around them. And I like talking with you all because, yeah, if it's funny, then you can kind of say whatever you want. You can make trans jokes, you can make rape jokes, you can make murder jokes, it's funny. And so this is the big litmus test. And I do think you're right, Heaton, that if we're trying to pull some other string, I'm trying to say, and also I'm trying to make a point about society or teach us something or make the white people feel bad. I'm going to victim, be the victim here and say, wow, we need to change the world. There were other messages in his special and, and, and from his career over time, other than this is so funny. And I guess that's the heart of what it is. It's like you're making me feel something else. And now we feel betrayed. I think the right. second the piece betrayal. that no, we haven't brought up yet is that he has worked in sort of journalism. So his Netflix show, The Patriot Act, I don't know if any of you guys have seen it is a kind of John Oliver daily right. It's show journalism for young people who don't actually Journalism for young people. It's <laughs> one idiots. of those where, where just like Jon Stewart, just yeah, like Colbert, is. just like all the rest, they say, hey, I'm not a journalist, right. I'm a comedian. They try to have it both but ways. But you're yeah. really presenting facts about the world. You know, this is what's going on in India. This is what's going on in, in the UAE, whatever. Um, with a team of journalists uh, and reporters working for you and telling these stories. So unlike the vast majority of comedians, Hassan Minaj has had platforms where it's ostensibly news, even though it's certainly billed as entertainment. And and so I think he in particular is one of those comics. Like if it turned out that Jon Stewart had lied about a bunch of stuff related to his political views, I feel like that would rub us the wrong way than if Turner made up, you know, uh, the Mr. Softy story because you haven't made that that's, your whole imagine point. Imagine if Turner made up the Mr. <laughs> right? like you're not oh, that's to, like, coming. Persuade that's us coming. of something about China or business or ice cream. I, I would be impressed if Turner had never been to China. I would at this point would I'd be actually also I'd be super impressed. I'm by in that. on it. I made a, I, I photoshopped him into photos it of would me in China. Actually, be good for Turner's career because then we could get a New Yorker yeah. article about it. The guy who fooled yeah, around. Yeah, I'll see if Claire is free. <laughs> but you know, and yeah, he, there's an outlet for all this. By the way, he could write a book. Like, that's the thing. Like, you'd write a novel if you want to cover all these themes. You could write a piece of fiction, or, or write a movie. Like, you don't have to do stand-up comedy. It's not, like, the only form of entertainment, so. Uh, I mean, I think one other there's... piece that we haven't hit on yet, and I don't know that this is the crowd to do it, although, uh, uh, Cap, because you're, you're constantly discriminated against, perhaps you can, is mm. I spoke with some comedians who are also <laughs> first-generation uh, immigrants or second, I forget their parents moved to the U S and they've grown up here and they tell a lot of personal stories in the context of their comedy about growing up Indian American or whatever. And they have expressed concerns that this will really cast doubt on anything that they say on stage going forward or any voices in the marginalized I mean, communities that Heaton was, was describing where we say, well, this they're happened to me and this happened to me. Yeah. They're making themselves into victims. Making it they about preemptively them? making themselves about them, about them being victims immediately. Like, I, I also want to say, I also want to say that um, I'm very concerned to talk about 9/11 after a white man, Steve Renazizi, lied about being in 9/11. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I, I got, I'm going to introduce a new term here. Um, we, we've, we've not we, we've not brought it up in today's conversation, but we have brought it up previously. Um, the, the 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 concept of clapter, uh, which mm. I take a very dim view of. This has been going on for a long time, but I feel like it crescendoed during the the Trump years, where uh, you get up and you go, you know, maybe this isn't popular, but I think the president's a fascist, and then everybody claps, and you don't have to tell a joke because telling a joke's much harder than yeah. telling a thing to a room full of people that everybody agrees with. So a lot of hacks did this and continue to do this, right? I feel like. There's a kind of um, I as a comedian, I think, am, am viscerally chafing at something similar that we're talking about today with uh, with Hassan of what I'm going to call laugh tear. I need to work mm, on this term here. But instead like of going for, instead of going for some combination of applause and laughter, you're going for some combination of sympathy and laughter. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a I'm a goddamn purist. I want high distillate laughter. I don't want right. uh, a laughter tear combo. I want laughter. <laughs> if you if you want now if you want to have a deep moment that uh, that that drags out the suspense, and then there's going to be a really big payoff. That's fine. That's part of the art. But if you're mm-hmm. if you're going for like to me, there's almost like a, like an emotionally sympathetic variant of Clapter. There's and I just want to say, Heaton, that still exists. I think Clapter's potentially at an all time high right now, but on the other side. Mm-hmm. All across America, there's these hacks being like, can you believe in New York they still wear masks? And everyone goes, oh. And start clapping. <laughs> it's, it really is. It's just as high, but on the other side right now. Mm, yeah. Well, I'm going to add uh, some controversy here. I have heard the phrase claplause as opposed to clapter. Mm, so we can okay. have a new round table to discuss. Wait, which isn't that just applause? Is it clap applause just applause? When you get the clap Cla- and you applaud oh, yeah. and proud of you. At least you had sex. No. <laughs> There's no laugh involved. Never mind. Applause. <laughs> <Just a clap laughs> yeah, he just... Okay, I'm an idiot. All right. By the way, I, 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 you reminded me when you brought up Trump that there was one other thing he made up that I thought was amazing. Did you, did you catch that in the article? About how... Oh, the, was it the... the, 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 the Kushner... Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. He yeah, went yeah, to yeah, an event honoring uh, some Saudi activists. Right. And supposedly there was a seat saved for the Saudi activists. And Jared Kushner just took the seat. And then he told him off or something. And it's like that none of that happened, apparently. So, it's just, so is he a pathological he's a, liar? He's just is a hero. Nothing to do with, yeah. 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 And he oh, yeah. And he met with the Saudis like a month before um, the what's his name was murdered, supposedly. But he Kuchok- made it seem like Kuchok- he had, like a few hours. Yeah, I, he made it seem like he met with him like a few hours before the murder, which that mm-hmm. I like eh, a month of. Well, few, and, and the people yeah. were texting him saying, are you OK? Because yeah, he, he interviewed right. the Saudi prince the <laughs> yes. same day that Khashoggi was killed. Which, it's an odd it move. Out, he no. brought his whole he made his entire TV show staff complicit in this lie by saying, yeah. oh, my whole staff was texting me all day asking, are you OK? Right. Are you OK? <laughs> Meanwhile, the whole staff knows they go. This didn't happen. They're the only ones who know. But now they're not allowed to tell anybody. That this is a lie because their boss is lying on behalf of them. <laughs> I think he's yeah. pathological. You're right. Yeah, little... it does seem excessive. I mean, there must have been a moment where after Homecoming King, which in my to me is what made me aware of him uh, and winning a Peabody Award for that, where he must have been like accepting the award and been like, well, it's too bad I made so much of this up because people really seem to be taking it seriously. Like, I think that there must have been. A, and if there, no, there wasn't, wasn't and maybe because... there wasn't because he's gone on to keep yeah. lying. Uh, yeah. And he, yeah. and he lied right, so on, I wanna... he repeated, sorry, I know I'm on a delay here, but he repeated those stories then in interviews on, in different newspapers and everything. Yeah. It wasn't like he just told them once on stage, but uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Andrea. No, is there, is there, so I want to, uh, 
you know, I think we're all largely in agreement on this. I wonder if there's anything <laughs> nice that we can say. Is there what's what's the strongest defense? I want to challenge us to be on the other side here. What's the strongest mm. defense of all of this? I think the that, strongest that defense has. is what he's doing, which is trying to conflate, trying to use the 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 shield of stand-up comedy to protect the lies mm-hmm. and con- and hoping that the general public and Whoopi Goldberg uh, <laughs> are too dense or too too uninformed on the topic to know mm-hmm. that this isn't what all comedians do because it's it, mm-hmm. I think his best defense is what he's going for, which is don't admit don't admit uh, guilt or don't admit guilt but don't apologize. Never apologize is the mm-hmm. post that Trump taught us that. Never the apologize. Trump taught everybody that. Never apologize. Keep going. Yeah, so he's using the Trump model here of never apologizing, and then. Um, and then and then just hoping that you say, well, no, all comedians lie. Yeah. And so therefore you're wrapping yourself in the blanket yeah. of all comedians. That that I'll, would be I'll, my I'll do a st- way of telling. Yeah, that I think he's doing the right thing if if his if his goal is to preserve his career and never apologize. I'll yeah. I'll I'll properly I'll properly steel man this. I think I can do this. Uh, hello, I, I am Hassan. What I am trying to do is I am trying to uh, punch up and communicate problems within our society, and my goal is to highlight these problems to the audience. I am less concerned about my personal relationship to the problems. I am merely using myself as the vehicle by which to explain the narrative. I'm fairly incidental. It's just that I'm the one with the mic. Therefore, I'm injecting myself into the story. But what I'm trying to do is bring these ideas to the American public, and the ideas are more important than the underlying details. So it's it's the thesis rather than the facts that I'm concerned with, and that's what I'm trying to communicate with my comedy. He specials. should hire you. Good. All right, Cap. I was going to go the other way. See, that's that's why you, you're successful. My move would be to just to to just make that your comedy to just lie to make fun of yourself. Everything you do, just make fun of. Am I telling the truth? You know, turn that into a shtick, but he's not going to. Well, do that. that brings up a good. That's a horrible idea. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that does bring up a good question, which is what who's going to believe his next special? That's like, the thing. That's where why does he his career go from on. here? I know that he is. They said the Rolling Stone magazine reported the following day that he's in. He's still a, apparently a top three finalist to get the Daily Show. I'm going to take a real outside wager to say that that's not happening. Um, no one's giving him. He's not, he's not going to be host of the daily show right now. If you can't believe what he's saying, you know, and yeah. then this is his style of comedy is like in quotes, truth telling comedy. That is his style, right? Personal and story, Berbiglia. Exposing as, yeah. the truth. So then if none of it's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious. Where do right. you all think his, his career goes from here? I mean, my initial thought was, well, because he's he's pushing his I follow him on Instagram and he's pushing his tour quite hard. The King's Jester. And my thought was he was going to come out and apologize fully and cancel the tour. But I'm obviously wrong about that. And I haven't taken enough lessons from Trump to begin with. Um, So I bet that there's his I, I agree with 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 what others are saying that I think his stand up career is maybe OK but it will just be his diehard fans who, and we all, Heaton, you articulated this earlier, like we all have people who we're going to follow no matter what. And maybe it won't be as widespread, but he'll still have a ton of followers who say, yeah, he, you're speaking. He's, he's going to be just, again, as Hassan's uh, PR person here. Yeah. Um, I think we need to ask ourselves, 
what percentage of the public or even let's narrow this down what percentage of people that go to stand-up shows across the country are reading the new yorker Mm. i'm going to go with five percent maybe way less now let's let's subdivide that by people who read the new yorker and uh don't like him enough to forgive him um like i i i think statistically this is going to be very like i think most people if you talk to them and go what do you think about that thing with uh hassan uh, minhaj they're going to go who and of the people that know him they're going to go, oh, I didn't read that. I didn't read the New Yorker article. I, I don't I, I think this is going to be water off the duck's back. I, I, I think this might cost him the Daily Show uh, impresario position. Uh, but mm. in terms of the overall uh, comedy arc, it's not like this is going to affect him at all. It's not so like when Michael Richards was saying the N word or anything. <laughs> yeah. What's why would it why did it affect like Steve Renazizi so much? Because under the same logic, what percentage of comedy audiences read New York Times? And mm. his career. Good point. He had a very good stand-up comedy career. He was on the um, the League. He was one of the lead actors on this TV show, The League, for like seven seasons. Yeah. The show was ending naturally, show. so it's not like he got fired from the show. He was launching this giant tour, and it all came crashing down. But the difference is mm-hmm. he did apologize. Maybe that's the problem. Hmm. Maybe that's just a mistake then. That could be my, part of it. Well, I, I'm curious there, too, because like my guess is that you're going to find a, a, a really disproportionate amount of people that are – at the head of creative institutions that read the New Yorker or the New York Times. Yeah. Um, and you're not going to find that same percentage in a, in a comedy audience. So I'm I, I first I've heard about this guy, Turner, but I'm surprised that he would cancel a, a stand up tour. But I'm he's not, not surprised doing, Hassan would, is not doing a tour across like big clubs. It's him as the headliner. So the people coming to his show are him. It's not just the random schmo walking into the laugh factory in whatever town. I've actually never seen him do stand up, I, I should say. So I didn't, yeah, I don't think I, like there are two. I don't know if if uh, if I don't know. This we've just done an hour talking about a guy where half the people on the day is, have never seen him do stand up. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's it's interesting. It, me, it means that we're objective. It yeah. means we're objective. I mean, I kind that's of why I don't want, know what the same way I was curious a, uh, a, a world smartest podcast network live show where Kaplan and Heaton watch uh, Homecoming King, mm. knowing that it's fake, and then live. Uh, do live commentary. That's I did, it. No, I, I did that. Know, it, it, like, I could have Gather been doing around. a 180. Yeah. I, I mean, will I say this. It's it. actually very entertaining stand-up now when you know it's fake. I did that three or four <laughs> days ago. <laughs> and because after reading the article, I'm like, I'm so curious to see what his stand-ups, because I hadn't, I hadn't, I only seen him in clubs, but you know, not on, I hadn't seen the full special. And it is wildly entertaining when you realize. Did you, watch, you went back and watched the special, Turner? I watched the first half of Homecoming King, and there's one thing that's just so clearly a lie. He says when he was like seven or eight years old, um, I believe this part, that he was raised by his dad because his mom was still in India, and she hadn't got the visa right. yet, or the green card. And so they're waiting on the green card. It took eight years, and when his mom finally does arrive, this little girl, like she has this little girl with her, and he's like, he's eight years old. And he's like, who is that? Who could that little girl be? And she's like five, the little girl, four or something. And he goes, that's when I realized I found out I had a sister. And mm. there's just no way his parents didn't tell him he had a sister. They didn't mention? Eight- <laughs> <laughs> they didn't say. I mean, I know they didn't have FaceTime back then, but they might have mentioned like, it in a letter. When my dad had gone home right. to visit her, he knocked up my mom and then a sister came out. But that is, I guess you could say that's servicing a joke. So yeah, and there's they, no real harm cool. there, I guess. And that this, yeah, that's, that's yeah, the yeah. thing. It's that. Yeah. It's, is it going to affect how you any of you tell jokes like with the truth, or you're none of you are worried about? No, because I didn't approach jokes this way as a hero or a victim. Yeah. Yeah. It's never. I don't know to anyone to... who does. Do you know anyone who? Well, turn when we do when we do our 
when we do our Patreon show, I'm always like, I used to be like so on the like 100% the, and then I feel like with your, I'm starting to exaggerate things a little more. I feel like the show gets better, but now I'm going to be nervous yeah. to do that. So I'm going to, I'm going to return to 100% accuracy. I don't want anyone fact checking. I'll just, I'll keep I mean, stealing Bob Newhart jokes. It doesn't affect me It goes me back at all. to where we started, which <laughs> is, a, it's, it's less about the, you know, yes, he stretched some of the details or, or compressed some of the timelines, but it's parts of it are true is the, is the, the victimhood piece of it. Yes, and I think, yeah, like you, you heighten things about when you went apple picking and I heighten things about how horrible I am to my students, yeah. but the fundamental claims are true and none of us are saying oh feel so bad for me i went apple picking yeah well also you're when i had a heart attack it was actually heartburn you but. were horrible to your students so you in this case you're the you're the uh the joke's on you right, the, right. yeah usually in That's comedy the, the joke you point the joke inward at yourself but anyway right yeah right right um so you well, all think, I think he's gonna we, be fine uh, you think it's he's gonna escape he's gonna be fine mm. yeah yeah I we'll did. I did. I, mean, check I, I his might actually go see him now based on this. If he comes through Austin, I might. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more interested. I'd be too. <laughs> will any I keep of you checking his consider... Instagram to see if he's going to post something, but he doesn't. Will any of you consider now sending anthrax to yourself just to see if Netflix is interested? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, okay. Have, have, have you all read uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying? Um, no. I can't remember the name. Oh, it's it, it'll open your eyes on a lot of stuff. But like there's 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 some black magic you can play with to promote yourself. So um, the, the guy that wrote it, whose name presently escapes me, wrote a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying. Uh, and he was a PR guy. And at one point he was doing PR for uh, Tucker Max, I think is the name oh, of the fellow. Yes. Tuck, and Tucker yeah. Max had just done a book called I, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what, 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 the, what the PR guy <laughs> yes. would do Don't, let's my job, that guy. he would, he would uh, rent billboards in, in towns. Then he would deface the billboard himself. Oh, right. Then he would email all of the local news teams and be like, have you seen this? This Tucker Max guy is really controversial. People keep defacing his billboards. And right, he would like right. precipitate all so like you could if easy tip for anybody that wants to make some money right now, if you write a book, immediately go to the most progressive college campus you can find and then send a bunch of inflammatory emails to all of the the local social justice. Chat. Try to get yourself canceled because then you can get. So there are ways to do this, but I don't want to play with that black magic. That seems like a, like that seems like a monkey's paw type thing where mm-hmm. I'm, it's going to like I'm going to end up losing my house or something. And I'll, so I'll should have just been more careful. He was absolutely right to to play. To, this to reminds me. This actually did happen in China um, when I was living there a few years ago. I had friends who were connected with the local state, like the giant stadium, the ten thousand seat Shanghai whatever auditorium or whatever. And man, I want to say it was Justin Bieber, but I could be wrong on the person. So don't. I don't know. This is odd to say. But anyway, let's say it was Justin Bieber, for example. They were. He was booked to perform at the stadium. Um, It got to two weeks out before the show. He had only sold like half the tickets. And then and so Mm. he claimed that the Chinese government banned him and shut him Mm. down. And he never went to China. I had contacts within the stadium with being like that wasn't the case at all. They were welcoming him in. Everything was fine. But it was a way to be like, no, it was Bieber. It was 100 percent. It was Bieber. Now I remember because then he also on the same trip had uh Someone carry him. It's a great picture you can Google of Justin Bieber on the Great Wall. And he was too tired to walk. So he had his giant bodyguards <laughs> carry him like a baby up the Great Wall. Uh, God, yeah. he is the. What was uh, the, uh, the Justin Bieber roast? Um, 
uh, Jeff, what's his name, referred to him as the King Joffrey of pop music. <laughs> uh, that's beautiful. That, yeah, that's beautiful. That's, that uh, sounds very accurate. Hey, Turner, yeah, one thing we forgot, we tried to get our, we could maybe do this, reverse engineer this, but we once, there was an episode a few years ago, Lost in America, when uh, I worked for Robert De Niro and a bomb was sent to his office. And we went on, oh, yes. we went on, cause, and I used to open the mail for Robert De Niro all the time. I opened, I actually would have powder that we thought might be anthrax, wasn't anthrax. Ooh. I was not there the day of the bomb, but we did an episode where I think we pretended I was opening the mail that day. <laughs> so we failed to get any traction with that, but maybe now we no can get someone to write an article about how we lied about this. Yes. And maybe now we, we can get canceled. <laughs> we can get canceled. All right, let's all agree to write an article no, about. I, I, we also marked ourselves safe on Facebook that day and no one cared. Yeah, mark myself safe ever. we should mark ourselves safe today based on the this article but yeah <laughs> all right new new uh plan all of us we need to try harder to get canceled we did a poll previously about who's mm. going to get canceled first me thank you everyone who voted yep. uh but now let's have a race and see who can get canceled first because i think that clearly is the is the mm. way forward all right guys i think we've solved we've solved the dilemma we agree Hassan Minaj is a national treasure, and uh, we think he should keep doing what he's doing. Uh, where can we all find you? The girl, like, when, oh, sorry, I was going to say I was about to send Anthrax to the girl who rejected me for high school, so I've got it. Yeah, Cap, you, you do that, <laughs> and we'll uh, uh, bring you on next time. Heaton, where can people uh, who aren't already following you find, find your stuff? If you are not already following me, you can follow me on The Political Orphanage, which is my main gig. And uh, I've I've had guests that might be relevant to our conversation. One, one that's coming up, I've got Yasha Munk coming on uh, here in a couple of weeks. And that might be of interest to people that enjoyed this conversation. So check out The Political Orphanage. Very good. Cap Turner, where can talk talk to us about Lost in America? What What's going on with you guys? Go ahead, Cap. No, this uh, Lost in America, which is our podcast. <laughs> I could tell through the question. <laughs> Lost in America pod dot com. I don't believe a word you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> you believe- we uh, we uh, who, who do we have on last week, Turner? Oh, my gosh. All right. I'll take over. Um, <laughs> I was trying to give you airtime here. We are. We have, we host a show called Lost in America. We put it out every single week. We talk to comedians around the world about the global news events happening in their country. Our most recent podcast last Serbia. Week, we had Peja Bajevic. Shut up, Kaplan. We had Peja Bajevic <laughs> in, uh, talk us about um, in, in April or May of this year, there was a, a, a couple of um, gun, whatever, mass gun shootings in Serbia. Serbia's response was to ban, gun, try to get 90% of guns off the street of the country out of the hands of the people. We checked in last week to see how that is going with Serbia. There's always this story that, oh, anytime we have a shooting in America, we go, oh, you know what? Australians, they're so much smarter. They banned guns in 1992 and they've never had a shooting. Well, it turns out they had 12 guns in the country to begin with. So it's not a good (laughs) test case for us. Serbia has a more American level of guns in the country. So we dove into that to see how that's going. So check us out. Lost in America podcast available wherever you get podcasts. Awesome. And I'm Andrea Jones, where I host the Majoring in Everything podcast about uh, the secret superpowers of people who do more than one seemingly unrelated thing. Uh, and I have a, a new YouTube series coming out of uh, data science <laughs> videos. So uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, it's Andrea Jones Roy, Jones Roy on YouTube, Instagram, etc. All right, guys, that's uh, that's what we got for today. I'll see you all at uh, Hassan's next show. Great. <laughs> Thanks, all.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.